0: Good to have you all today. Uh, My name is Randy Pauley. I'm the pastor here and we are going to talk about some really cool stuff today, uh, namely the Christian or Christians and politics. Let's get political. Oh, yay. Um, Joy. We're going to talk about that a minute. Before we get to that, Sue Nishikawa. Let me give you guys an update on our Sue Nishikawa missions offering. By the grace of God, we have reached our goal for $1,800 as a church to give towards state missions. Praise God. That's you guys giving sacrificially. Uh, I do want to encourage you. That is one way, one of the ways that. partner as a Southern Baptist Convention Church uh, for the sake of missions and advancement of the gospel across the world Sunishikawa specifically uh, is targeted at the spread of the gospel in Hawaii. So uh, that is 100% of what we give, 100%, 100, 100, not like uh, 99.9% and then I get like, you know, a little, no, 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 100% of that goes up for missions and partnering for the gospel. So thank you guys. Thank you for your giving. Second thing that we did recently in terms of uh, partnering is the Louisiana flooding. Some of you have heard of that, just massive destruction, massive devastation with our brothers and sisters in the South, And the MCBA churches took up a love offering partnership. And what we did, and you guys remember this, we did this in September, is they gathered all the offerings we collectively, uh, amongst our MCBA churches, raised about just shy of $10,000. So praise God. Praise God. Yes, again, that's... and now that is going to be, that's coming directly from Maui and going directly to uh, an association in Louisiana. Uh, I saw their church. It looked much like ours. It's a U-shaped, like a horseshoe. And, and literally, the water was up to the top of the doors and windows. So um, the pastor, his parsonage, like, like we have a parsonage, was underwater. So uh, $10,000, we're thankful to help in any way we can. And they know, above all, they're not alone. They're not alone. Uh, And sometimes in destruction and devastation, you can feel very much alone. And so that will be carried from a representative of Kihei Baptist Church in the coming weeks. Uh, And it's really just neat to see how the churches are partnering together, much the way Paul did in gathering the offerings from the Gentiles and carrying it back to Jerusalem, the saints there who were suffering in starvation. So it's really amazing, and I am blessed to be a part of a church doing things very much like the book of Acts, uh, and praise God. Now, the Christian and politics. The Christian... In politics. This will be one of two sermons. So we capped off the first half of John, John 1 through 12. Uh, And now I'm going to take two weeks. Normally, my standard uh, method of preaching and feeding the flock is to go expositionally through the Bible, uh, chapter by chapter, book by book. And and so in next in sorry, November, the first Sunday of November, we're going to kick off Exodus. And so I'm very excited about that. We're going to cover Exodus one through 19. This will be volume two or part two to our Genesis that we started in 2015 and so it's really exciting you should start reading exodus now in your devotions if you haven't already uh, and be prepared but this week and next week i'm going to do uh, two topical sermons on different areas i'll hold off and not see what i'm going to do next week um in some ways it is related to this but not as directly so the christian and politics why am i preaching about this now Halloween, that's right, it's Halloween, (laughs) trick or treat, trick or treat. (laughs) Um, Why now? Well, obviously, we have our elections coming up in November, and they're pretty significant. Uh, Many believers are confused. This is actually going to be my first sermon uh, as a pastor wading into political waters during political season. Maybe my last one, we'll see, we'll see um but the scriptures do have much to say about politics contrary to popular belief while we do hold to the separation of church and state uh that does not mean we have no bearing at all in matters of the state on the contrary as we're going to see uh the reign, ro- the, the lordship of God, of Jesus Christ, affects everything. Everything. Uh, and so let's pray and ask the Lord for much wisdom and much grace as we enter these very controversial waters. Uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, my desire. All right. I have, as we flesh this out, I have 11 points. 11 points, so perhaps I should start my stopwatch. 11, so we're going to move. Some of these will seem very basic to you, but we need reminders judging off of uh, various Facebook posts and blogs that I've seen and news stories and conversations. We need reminders of basics, amen? Alright, so some of these will be basic, and as we get to the final points, I will actually get more into the nitty-gritty of what all of you are wanting to know, Trump or Hillary or third party. And if you're expecting that I'm going to tell you what to do, you will be sorely disappointed. Mostly because I don't know what to do myself. But I will not leave here answering those questions, that is not my field of expertise, and Uh, That is not my aim. So I hope my aim is clear by the end of it. So, how should Christians engage in politics? Number one, seek God's kingdom. Number one, seek God's kingdom. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Just because Catholics take this and use it the most doesn't mean it's a bad prayer, amen? Amen. This is a biblical prayer, okay? It is a beautiful prayer, and it is wonderful. I would even encourage you to pray it regularly so they don't have uh, copyrights on this, all right? This is a good thing. Even though we're Baptists, we should still say the Lord's Prayer. Now, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does he ask? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. So when he prays, we're praying for the kingdom. And then he rounds out this whole section in verse 633 with seek first the kingdom of God. So, with Jesus Christ risen and reigning over all things, and on the basis of His authority, we seek the kingdom of God first and primarily. We pray for its full manifestation and its ultimate consummation with Jesus reigning as King physically and present. That's what we want. So, we pray, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly. So, our hope beloved, this morning is mainly in the return of Jesus, not who wins the election, not who wins the election. I pray for my congregation here that the Lord has entrusted me with. Uh, underneath Obama, I've been a- around long enough, and I've had many Christians, godly people say, Obama's the Antichrist. We better get ready because w- Four years, Jesus is coming back before the end of his administration. Uh, <sighs> Beloved, let's not fall into that, right? If you're a member of Kahloy Baptist Church, please do not go out saying, oh, under this, this, the, the Lord's coming back. He might be. Praise God. Amen? He might be. But let us not get fanatical, and fearful, and uh, almost superstitious with these types of things. Uh, It may be that one of these candidates is the Antichrist, but we, we just don't know, ultimately. And so we stand prepared always. And now here comes the end of Obama's time in office, and the Lord Jesus has not yet returned. And I have not heard any of those Christians who said that, saying, oh, my bad. Okay, so let us not fall into each One president that comes up is is seven years. All right, let's, let's not do that. Our hope is not in who wins the election. It's in the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So until his return, until his return, our primary mandate is what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now... In that making disciples of all nations, some of you, and I pray this is the case, some of you may be ordained by God to, in your disciple making efforts, in your efforts to live out the gospel, some of you may be called to run for office, to have significant influence for the glory of God and the sake of Christ on our government authority as a means to testify to the and power of God to change lives as a faithful citizen. So as Christians, even though I say our primary mandate is to make disciples, that does not negate entirely our involvement in government. We should seek significant, significant gospel presence and impact in all areas of life. In every area of life, in teaching, in police officers and banks and and whatever it is we do, we should seek impact in all of these things. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not confined to Sunday mornings, 309 South Putunine Avenue. It affects everything. Everything. And so we seek His kingdom, we trust His sovereign fatherly care, and that frees us. It frees us To advance the work of the gospel, not worry. Now, we must remember, as we flesh this out, this presidential election has no bearing whatsoever on his person, on his supremacy, or on his purpose. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail the proper response, the Christ-centered response, praise our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's number one. Seek God's kingdom first, right? Broad. You're like, okay, thank you, Pastor. I kind of got that. I understand I want to seek God's kingdom, but you're going to say, how do I go about seeking God's kingdom as a faithful citizen? And we're getting there. We're getting there. Number two. Seek God's kingdoms. Number two, seek God's wisdom. Seek God's wisdom. This is the way Paul prayed in Colossians 1, 9 through 10. He says this, I quote, We have not ceased to pray for you, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what we do. I pray for you. That's my prayer for you. That should be your prayer for one another. That we would pray that, and unceasingly pray, that you would be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. When we're asking questions like, Whom should I vote for? we're asking questions of wisdom. We need wisdom. This is a hard choice. It always has been a hard choice. And so we need not just our wisdom, worldly wisdom. We need divine wisdom. James tells us bluntly in, ver- in chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So let him ask wisdom. Let me ask you this, beloved. How much time, how much time have you spent, have we spent, Listening to political experts, watching debates, reading articles, complaining about how bad the candidates are, and on and on. How much time have we spent doing this? And how much time have we actually really sought the face of God for divine wisdom and counsel? This is hard to do because it feels like we're not getting anywhere. But, beloved, how much time have you spent in prayer over this election? Steadfast, and I don't mean just the type of, Lord, help me have wisdom, the election, amen. If you read the Old Testament, if you read the New Testament acts in times of great upheaval and political upheaval, national upheaval, church upheaval, when there were things on the line, what did they do? They fasted. They prayed and they fasted and they sought the face and the will of the Lord. Perhaps we ought to do the same. Not just because Hillary, not just because the election looms, but any election, we should be seeking the face of the Lord, the wisdom of God. So I encourage you, how much time, ask yourself, how much time have you actually spent in prayer over whom you will vote for? Number three, speak God's truth. Speak God's truth. We are called to speak, Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. We are a representative of Christ who is truth incarnate. We are called to speak. We are ambassadors of Christ to bear his message of reconciliation to the world. This demands we speak and that we speak truthfully. Now, many of us don't have a problem with speaking truthfully. Some of us have a problem with speaking truthfully a little too much. Nonetheless, some of us do. Some of us do have an issue of remaining silent. Christians speak about issues directly bearing on political matters. So those who have said, oh, the church is not the place for politics. What's a good word for this? Hogwash. I don't know, right? Uh, Whatever. Baloney. The church is not the place for politics. Christians speak on all areas. Abortion, the value of life, marriage, civil rights, property rights, fair wages, slavery, pornography, war, greed, end-of-life matters, suicide, education, immigration, poverty, religious liberty, and many other things. These are not political things. These are theological issues. We cannot check our worldview at the door, and nobody does. What we believe has a direct bearing on life. If we believe that God creates life and creates all things, and that life at the moment of conception is real and living, that's a human being, then that has a direct bearing on how we treat that thing or person. You see, we do not check politics at the door of the church, nor do we check our Christian faith at the door of the voting booth. The Lordship of Jesus reigns in everything, in everything. And some will say, well, why would you force your religious beliefs on me? It's not forcing it on anybody. Please understand, they're doing the same thing. Their worldview is impacting the way they vote. So their worldview says two men and two women can be in a relationship and can be married and they vote and legislate that into law. They're voting in accordance with their beliefs. Everybody does this and this is not wrong. It's impossible to not do it. So we're called to speak. Christ's reign encompasses all of life. So we do not divorce our Christianity from the public square. So not only are we called to speak as if we have an option, but we must. We must hear that. We must speak God's truth. Why? Because if Christians bear, tr- are called to speak God's truth. If we have God's truth and we don't speak it, who will? Who will counsel governors? Who will counsel kings and all in authority with truth? If not us? Oh, for a generation of Daniels who are full of wisdom such that kings even recognize that wisdom and appoint them as advisors and counselors over all of kingdoms. Josephs and Daniels and Moseses and full people who know the Scriptures and know the Word. and Unbelievers cannot deny the supremacy of the wisdom of the followers of Jesus. We must speak truth. Who else will? But we also must speak when candidates fail to meet basic character qualifications of leadership. So our commitment to truth also isn't checked at party lines, Republican or Democrat. Such that loyalty to one or the other prevents us from saying when a candidate fails basic character qualifications. And so we speak and reject false statements of lying or racial ideology, sexual assault, the devaluation of women or life in the womb. We speak against all of these things. We must not be silent or excuse them as the locker room talk or the realities of men, but we call it what it is, sin and degradation, and should not be represented in our leadership. We speak. We don't remain silent just because they are our party's representative. Whether you be Democrat, Republican, or otherwise. So we must speak God's truth. Number four, we speak in love and humility. So while we are called to speak, to speak God's truth, we must speak that truth in love and humility. We do it with grace and mercy. With grace and mercy. Recognizing that Christians throughout the centuries, throughout the centuries, have approached this in different ways. Different ways. Whether they be under an emperor, under an oligarchy, underneath a, a democracy or a republic as we are in, we always. Speak truth and recognize many have had different conclusions than us. Even today, even today, godly men, very godly, smart, scholarly men and women disagree over the proper response of believers in this election. They do. I've read several, several men that I love and respect. Some say they're voting for Trump, some say they're voting for Hillary. Some say they're voting third party. Some say they're not voting at all. Now, some of you hear those voting for Trump. (laughs) And you sneer immediately. Others hear, how could you vote for Hillary and even be a Christian? And you think... (laughs) And others think, well, the only way for us not to sell our soul is to vote third party. Beloved... Seeing the amount of disagreements alone is a good enough reason to think, step back, and say I need to take a good dose of humility. That maybe I don't see things as clearly as I think I do. And even if I do, I should understand that my brothers and sisters may not see things as I see them. So we ought to speak very graciously to one another and about one another, especially those whom disagree with us, which leads to the second, to the fifth point. The fifth point, the next two points are related to number four: speak love and speak and love and humility. So the fifth point: secondary disputes shouldn't overshadow first tier commands. Do you get that? Secondary disputes shouldn't overshadow first demands. What does that mean? That means the choice of whom to vote for in this season, and this election season, falls under the category of what Christians have called disputable matters. It's disputable matters. Second, third, fourth tier issues. It means that we can discuss them. We can debate them, sometimes robustly. But we don't divide over them. We don't divide over them. These are disputable matters. So while the right choice may be complicated this 2016 election season, it was also complicated in 2012, I'll remind you. But while the right choice may be complicated in this election season, the clear commands of God are not complicated to love and unity. That is not complicated. That is very, very clear and often repeated. So I ask, is it possible? And you have to say yes, by the way. (laughs) Because everything's possible, amen? Sorry, my wire is giving me problems this morning. Is it possible to have a Democrat and Republican united around the gospel of Jesus Christ and serving together in the same body? I told you, you had to say yes. So you had to say yes. Of course it's possible. The answer has to be yes. Why? Because the options to love, respect, and pursue unity with those whom we disagree with politically is not an option. And it's not disputed. And so I repeat one of the mantras of the Reformation. Speaking of Reformation. October 31st, 1517, approximately 499 years ago this month, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of the Catholic Church and started the Protestant Reformation, changed the face of the world, arguably and literally. If you don't know what Reformation Day is, now is a good year to find out. But one of the of the Reformation was because there's a lot of upheaval, a lot of political upheaval, a lot of questions, a lot of breaking from the, the, almost the world domination, the Western world domination of the Roman Catholic Church. One of the mantras came up was, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, or freedom, in all things, charity, or love. That's what that word, charity, means. In essentials unity, in non essentials liberty, in all things charity. Which means the call to be loving and kind in disputable matters takes precedent over being right in disputable matters. Amen. Which means pressing this on more, name calling, either directly or indirectly towards other believers who may disagree with you is not the godly response. Either directly or indirectly. We're starting to get a little bit closer to the road, and it's about to get really, we're about to hit pavement right now. Phrases such as voting for Hillary or Trump is a vote for racism or sexual assault or abortion or selling your soul or losing all moral credibility. Phrases like this are unwarranted, and they're non-sequitur. They don't necessarily follow. They're good rhetorical devices to show the weight of the matter, but we ought to be careful with rhetorical devices when it makes implicit statements about godly followers of Jesus Christ. So to categorize somebody as selling their soul or compromising all credibility because of their votes is unwarranted and unbiblical. And I do disagree with prominent people that I love and respect very much over this, like Russell Moore and Albert Moeller, who have called Christians selling their soul to vote one way or the other in this election. That is unwarranted, they are non sequitur. To vote for someone, and I'm talking about whether you're Democrat or Republican. You might be voting Hillary, you might be voting Trump. I'm not talking about who, I don't have one particular candidate in mind. But to vote for that person doesn't necessarily mean you are endorsing their character or qualities or even all of their policies. It doesn't mean you're endorsing them anymore then paying taxes to Caesar means you endorse everything Caesar does with those taxes. Or any more than paying money and watching a movie means you endorse everything that comes across that screen. No, doesn't mean that at all. It is that. It is a vote. It is an exercise of God's Spirit working in you to use wisdom to influence the city for good where you are in. And we ought not name-call either directly or indirectly or make implicit statements about the godliness of individuals based on how they vote. I told you you are about to hit the road, right? We hit it. We hit it, all right? So these are disputable matters. Should not overshadow first-tier commands. Number six. Number six. I love this one. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. Like I said, this one's related to the last one. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. What am I talking about? Hebrews 2.11, the writer says, he's talking about the works of Christ, what he did, his humiliation, and then he kind of summarizes and makes this statement in 2.11. That is why he is not ashamed to call us brothers. Now think about this beautiful passage. If any of you have siblings, then you actually know what it's like when at some point in your life your siblings will embarrass you or you'll be ashamed of them because they're acting like morons. So I'm the second in command uh, in my family tier. Uh, I've got one older brother. Everybody else is underneath me. So one of the joys of being an older brother is getting to embarrass the younger siblings. Amen? Older brothers are like, amen. Younger siblings are like, no, not so much, right? So this would play out often, you know, like when my little brothers or some sisters have somebody over at the house. Oh, is this the guy you were talking about that you said was really cute? No? Oh, somebody else. <laughs> right? We've all been there. Or, hey, I, you know, generally some sort of bathroom humor, which may not be appropriate this morning. But at some point, your siblings embarrass you. And if you think about this beautiful passage... He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Why is that beautiful? Because when you consider how foolish we often are before the Lord, how many times we actually do choose evil, yet the Lord is not ashamed to identify with us in the courts of heaven, that is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. Now, are we saying or will we say that while the Lord Jesus still identifies with us and is not ashamed of us in the courts of heaven, that we would be ashamed of our brothers and sisters who are voting differently from us because they're saying things that might seem weird, that don't make sense in our minds? I admit, I admit it does feel a little embarrassing at times when Somebody supports the character qualities of any particular candidate, and you're like, how can you say such a thing? It does seem to embarrass you a little bit, because you're like, yep, they're a Christian, right? But yet, please remember, the Lord Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, and we do things far worse. So may you gladly, boldly declare your love for your brothers and sisters as a means, as a method, as a way to call them to greater truth and righteousness. Number seven, don't dismiss the role of the conscience. Don't dismiss the role of the conscience. What do I mean by this? Well, First Corinthians 10 and Romans 14, Paul brings up this related issue of conscience, or a moral awareness that something is right or wrong. Now, our conscience is a gift to us. It is given to us by God, and it is a good guide, not an infallible guide, but it is a good guide to honoring God and avoiding dishonoring behavior. We should always, always be seeking to recalibrate our conscience in light of God's Word and should never, never make a habit of violating our conscience. That is characteristic not of believers, but of unbelievers and of false teachers who regularly violate that God-given voice that says, this is a dumb decision, all right? That's called searing your conscience, 1 Timothy 4. We don't do that. So we always seek to recalibrate our conscience because it's not infallible. And we don't make a point of ignoring our conscience and so we don't dismiss its role. All that to say, I am more concerned, I am more concerned by Christians who think in terms of right or left instead of terms of right or wrong. We are not people who are governed by right or left. We are people who are governed by honoring to God or dishonoring to God. Which means, if you cannot in good faith vote for a particular candidate, don't vote for them. If your conscience is captive and such that you're feeling like, I can't vote for Hillary, I can't vote for Trump, I can't vote third party, then you should not ignore this role of conscience and not vote for the candidate, because it may be sin for you to violate it. It's not necessarily a sin for you to vote for one, the other, or third party, but it is a sin to violate your conscience. Now, it may be that you need to recalibrate your conscience. That doesn't mean you just violate it. So, after you do serious praying and follow points one through six, seeking God's kingdom, Praying, seeking his face, speaking the truth in love with other believers to sharpen you, then you pray and make a good choice as God leads you. In all these types of matters, we do well to remember Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God, Amen. to God alone. Number eight, number eight. We do not vote as those who have no hope. We do not vote as those who have no hope. Yes, this is a play on words of 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Paul says this, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who do not have hope. And so I'm going to switch grieving there with voting. We do not vote. We do not live as those who have no hope either. Our hope is what? In God's invincible purposes to build his church. That hope is affected zilch, zero, nada at all by who wins 2016 presidential election. All you have to do is survey, flip in your Bible a few pages over to the book of Revelation where you see the purposes of God coming to consummation. Nothing can stay his hand. And one day Revelation 5 will come to pass, doesn't matter who's president right now, one day Revelation 5 will come to pass and every tribe and tongue and people and nation will say glory, praise, hallelujah, holy is the Lamb who was slain. So we do not vote as those who have no hope. Our king, our hope is alive and reigning over all things for the good of his people. So vote, and vote as a people who are brimming with victory, not fear, not defeatism, but confidence in the superior reign of Jesus Christ. Number nine, number nine, with lots of news around, make sure you know the good news. With lots and lots of news, there's all sorts of fascinating things. It seems like one candidate or the other is regularly saying something or doing something or something in the world is happening that is just like, what? They did who? What? With all sorts of news, make sure you know the good news. News is good to watch, but not if it takes you away from knowing the best news in all the world. Which means... If you can break down various political talk show po- points and contours, but you can't explain the gospel well, then you may need to readjust how you use your listening or watching and do things that are more God-centric. If you want suggestions for what to do and how to do that, ask me and I'll give you those suggestions later. There's many godly podcasts uh, Series, things to watch, sermons, blogs, uh, all sorts of things that you can use that are more profitable that'll help you know the best news, not just news. Now, having said that, make sure you know the good news. I have to assume that there may be some in here who do not know that good news this morning. You're here and maybe you're visiting. Maybe you came with a family member or friend and and you don't really know what Christianity is all about, and you're kind of wondering is this pastor on something? What what is he talking about? What's, What's the good news here that he is talking about? Beloved, Christianity is not about a president, it's about a king who descended from his throne, who laid aside his kingly attire, and out of his great love, laid his life down and rescued his people by dying in their place. And that king who died didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later, victorious over death and sin. And now he offers you life today, this morning, if you will repent and believe. That's what Christianity is about. And if you will do this, this king promises that he will give you life, an abundant life and joy in following him. And that you don't get death. Those who believe in him never die. You get life with the king forever. So I ask you this morning, will you turn to him? If you do not know this good news, if you have questions about this good news that can change your life, come this morning in our time of prayer. Don't wait. Number 10. Number 10. There's two parties, but there's only one Savior. There's two parties. You're like, actually, there's five. Okay. Two main parties, but only one Savior. As stated earlier, our mandate is to make disciples. Therefore, if we find it ourself unable or very challenged to get along with other believers who differ from us in these things, it may be a sign that we've turned our political beliefs or ideologies into an idol that we should cast down. Christians are not meant to be party puppets and identify along bipartisan lines. And some things more closely, biblically, with the Democratic Party. In other things, you might align more closely with the Republican Party. Both parties claim Jesus is on their side. We are not party puppets, and we are not delineated by anything except the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, in terms of our role as a believer, when we speak, our aim is is not to align with donkey or elephant. My goal as pastor, and one of the things I aim at, is to destroy and dismantle this idea of utopianism. What does that mean? Simply stated, salvation will not come through the candidate whom you voted for. One way or the other. This idea that if we just had the, the right person in office, everything would be well, and the gospel would flow unhindered, and peace would reign on earth, and angels would be singing, and babies would be uh, laughing. Every... No, 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 no. Salvation will not come through any political candidate, only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. There may be two parties, but there's only one Savior. Our hope is in Him. Amen. And eleven... Wasn't too bad, was it? You guys heard 11 points, and I saw some of you were like, bah, I'm going to cancel my lunch plans. <laughs> or I'm not canceling my lunch plans <laughs> one way or the other. It wasn't too bad. We moved quickly. Number 11, vote wisely and sleep soundly. Vote wisely and sleep soundly. I told you it would hit the road a little bit more, so here we go. You have four options to vote in this election. Of course, you could nuance it and make it more, but there's really four broad options. Number one, don't vote. Number two, vote for Hillary. Number three, vote for Trump. Number four, vote third party or write in. That's really the only options you have. I want to go over each of those very briefly. I could say a lot more on all 11 of these points, all right, if we just wanted to dice them down. So I I can't do it all in one sermon. Literally, volumes upon volumes have been written on this, all right? So Google, all right, Google and use discernment. Four options. Number one, don't vote. It is an option, an option some are taking. Just a few things to consider Say this goes against Jeremiah twenty nine seven, which says, "Seek the welfare of the city you are in, and in their wo- and in their welfare you will find your welfare." Amen. Arguably, to not vote is worse than voting for third party, choosing to not have a voice at all. I could say a lot more about that, but in our in our society, in our government governance structure. You actually hold an office. You do hold a political office. That office is that of citizen. Just to say you have a voice. Now, you might argue we don't really have a voice and electoral college and we're not in a swing state, so my vote doesn't count. That's not the point. That is an important factor, but that's not the point. The point is you have a role to do to seek the wealth, the good of the city you are in even while you're in exile. So, something to consider if you say I'm not going to vote. Number two, I could say a lot more, but just for time's sake, we we have to move on. I'm giving you, what I'm going to do is give you things to consider if you're thinking on any of these routes. Number two, vote for Hillary. Some of you are like, that's not even an option for a godly Christian, but godly Christians are doing it. You should think about it. Vote for Hillary, number two. Well, a few things to consider. She's got radical stances on abortion. Made very clear in the last presidential uh, debate. She'll appoint liberal justices that will steamroll the agenda of the LGBTQ community. And that's exactly what they're doing. So as of late, Supreme Court has been, uh, instead of taking votes to the people, they've just been steamrolling them through legislation from the courts. Something to think about and they'll continue a litany of other things. But some would say that's a predictable evil, at least. At least we know what Hillary's going to do, very predictable, and they would say as opposed to, we have no clue what Donald Trump's going to do. Which leads us to the next one, the next option, vote for Trump. Well, if that's you, then realize that there's no consistent track record of pretty much anything. He seems to waver on all sorts of things, even having supported the Clintons in the past. So there's a large group of people who are wondering if he is, there's some sort of conspiracy theory that the Democratic Party paid him off. We don't know. We don't know any of these things. And I don't want to spout those things. All I want to say is there's no consistent track record of anything. We truly don't know what he's going to do. He changes his stances even within this election year. Some see that as a bad thing. Some see that as a good thing. Whatever you say about his track record, he has terrible moral moral character. He's made racist and sexist comments that should not be excused in any way, shape, or form by followers of Christ. He brags about adulterous affairs, and the list doesn't end. This is probably somebody that you wouldn't even want living next door to you. Much less the leader of our country. Now, I fully am aware... That many of you will say that, well, he's the lesser of two evils, and the other side will fire back and say, well, when faced with choice of two evils, choose neither. That's the fourth party there, but I just want to make a point out of the lesser of two evils and when faced with two evils, choose neither. First, every election is a lesser of two evils. No matter what candidate you have, we're always going to be dealing with the lesser of two evils, unless our candidate is the Lord Jesus Christ. And, well, he's not running for office, amen? He's already got it. So every option is going to be a lesser of two evils. And the idea of when faced with the choice of two evils, choose neither. It's important to note, we're not, it's not as if we are actively engaging in evil. As I said, to vote is not an evil thing in itself. Good illustration, but not applicable to this situation. Because voting is not evil. And to vote for somebody who even may do evil is not the same thing as doing evil itself. So, those arguments don't necessarily hold much water to them. But it leads some to vote for a third party or a write-in candidate. This is also another viable option for godly believers and followers of christ something to think about in regards to this this has the appearance of not helping the other two evil candidates however in reality these votes are more symbolic than impactful it's more symbolic than impactful a third party vote in our democratic system is, at this point in history, is more of a symbol than it is doing anything. So, in some regards, they fall into the same struggle as the lesser of two evil. Because they're not wanting to vote for either party either. But they say, what options do we have? And so, in reality, a vote for a third party who has little to no chance of winning, just for the sake of feeling better about yourself, is in effect to let one or the other win and I presume that they're not being voted for because you feel they're unfit for office. Yet, by not voting, in essence, you aren't helping another candidate to win and are, in a sense, throwing away your vote. Something to consider. One pastor said it's like this. It's like seeing a kid getting bullied by a crowd of people. And instead of joining the crowd, you walk away and pat yourself on the back because you didn't join them. Yet you did nothing to actually step in and stop the bullying, you see. It may help us to feel better, but it doesn't do anything substantially to stop the bully. Things to consider in each of your votes. Now, it may sound like I don't agree with any of those options, having said what I just said about them. And you may be here now saying, well, I'm more confused than I was when I came in here. Thank you, Pastor, for leading me into truth. Or you may say, I'm actually more sunk in than I was when I walked in here. Praise God. So what do I do now? Well, all right, let's go back to point number one. See, No. After all is said and done, prayer has been made. Vote wisely and sleep soundly. And know that you are justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law. You are not justified by voting. Praise God. Let him rule and reign, and trust him and sleep soundly. Let's pray. Father, we do trust you. You raise up kings. Their heart is in the hand of the Lord, and you turn it wherever you want. May we trust in your godly reign. There are some who would say that this election is an evidence of judgment. If that is the case, then we accept your judgments and long to repent and do that which is right in your eyes. Lord, we know that all men are imperfect, all leaders are imperfect, and so we ask for wisdom and making a right, good, and godly choice. And we pray that whatever, whoever wins, and whatever the outcome of this election, that we would be diligent to make disciples of all nations. We thank you that the church is not threatened by persecution, by legislation, by any edict or order of kings, but that it will be built, and the gates of hell will not prevail. So, Father, we ask that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven.